So here we are after Christmas. It's the after Christmas lull. It's good to see everybody here. It's great. You know, weather's not bad. <clears throat> At Christmas time, I doubt that there are many here like me and Ayrton. Maybe there are, I don't know. I do not like surprises. Some of you are like, no, that's great, I love it. Well, he and I are probably, you know, it's my grandson, Ayrton. We, we don't like surprises. In fact, what he did is he searched the whole house when he knew that they were hiding presents in different places, and he would find them either, well, he started with the tree, so they had to get him out from under the tree. He didn't care who the present was for, you know, this is what we find. Oh, he's over here. Huh. Oh, let me just open this. Go search in my office under desks, in closets. He just would find whatever. And of course, busted. Oh, no. Caught. Red-handed. Secrets. Right? Who wants that secret? Now, of course... I must confess to you, there was a giant box that came the week before Christmas, Amazon, okay? It was a pretty good size. It had my name on it, of course, you know. And I'm going, oh, I got to see what's in here. Of course, I didn't order anything for Amazon that big. Cut the tape, look in, I go, oh. Got some white, you know, really nice tape, put it back. <laughs> A day or so later, I made a comment, and my wife goes, you looked in that box, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, what, me? Look in the box, what? <laughs> Surprises, secrets are difficult, aren't they? Somebody tells you something, you're like, oh, i gotta, I got to keep this. And when you think about the work of God, we think about the kingdom. There is this secret work of Jesus. And you're going, what are you talking about? It's based on a parable that Jesus gave. And of course, a parable is a story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus gives us a story, tells us a story about the kingdom. And he lets us know that the kingdom work is basically something that is happening under the surface. It's hidden. It's secret. Here's the parable, Mark 4, 26 to 29. He, Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Of course, that's an agrarian society, a farming community. He would have a bag and he would just throw the seed out. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed produces grain. First the stalk, then the head. Then the full kernel in the head, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And this is the idea right here, all by itself. This mysterious thing that happens, of course, the seed in this parable is the word of God. The soil is the human heart. And the planting of God's seed within hearts is this mysterious thing. It's growing in a sense. We can't always see it. The human heart is hidden from our view, so we must trust that God is at work. 
There are times when Anthony and I, Pastor Anthony and I, we preach, we teach, and we look at each other and go, I wonder if anybody was listening. <laughs> I wonder if anybody heard what we had to say. I even think that myself. You know, God, are, are, is this having an impact? And I'm not saying you're a bad audience or a bad church. I'm just saying we don't always see what's going on. We can't. We can't see. It's, it's a hidden thing. How can we faithfully partner with Jesus in his kingdom work even if we can't see what he's doing in the human hearts? How do we do this? How do we partner with God when we can't see what he's doing behind the scenes, in a sense, in someone's heart? What are we to do? There are two things. Reflect his character and focus on his message. You're going, oh, this is so basic. Yes, in one sense it is, and yet it lines up with our vision. Anthony brought up the idea of community groups, our vision to help people far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. Just think about that. That's not just one element. There's so many different elements, but that's our vision. That's how we stay focused on this. Reflecting the character of Christ. Easier said than done. When you gather a group of people together for Christmas dinner, right? You know what I'm talking about. How can we reflect to the character of Jesus to others? And the first thing is live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Paul says this in Galatians. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And you go and notice this is the fruit. This is the product of the Holy Spirit. And when he is in control, then we're producing these things. I could go through each one and give you an illustration, but I really want to focus on one. Because it's something I struggle with. Patience. All right. Fortunately, we're done shopping, okay, at least for Christmas presents. I wait for a few days before and get my shopping done. But anyways, if I have to go to a store like Wegmans and I've got to get five, six things, I go, I hunt, I get those things, I get it put in my little basket, I get in line. Where it says what? What does it usually say? Seven items or less, right? And who's usually in front of you? Yes, thank you. It's not just me. They have a full cartload of groceries, a checkbook, coupons, and you're there tapping your foot, trying to you know, see if there's any candy you want to get. And then now you've got a line of people behind you, so you're stuck. How easy is it for us to be impatient? Actually, the King James has an interesting word. Anybody know what the King James says for patience? No? Long-suffering. I'm talking about the old King James. Just think about that word. That's a good translation of that. Long-suffering. But you know, when it comes to people who don't know Christ, we as a church want to be very patient. We want to give you time. We want you to process, ask questions, belong before you believe. And in that way, I'm working on being more patient, saying, okay, they're here. That's good. We want them to be here. We want them to explore. But it's a product of the Spirit of God, not the product of the flesh. The flesh says, no, I want it, and I want it now. But how do we, how do we produce the fruit of the Spirit? He says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, 
and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, live by the Spirit's power and influence. Let the Holy Spirit control you. And think about this. Every single believer has the Holy Spirit. Every single believer has been baptized by the Spirit. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Every single believer has the Holy Spirit. At the moment you came to Christ, he indwells permanently. You, and you may disagree with me, but you don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He needs more of you. He needs more of you. He needs more of me. The battle that I face is that I'm going, no, God, I'm not sure I want to do that. I want to do it my way. But there's another element of this. It's not just being controlled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit or yielding yielding to the Spirit. That's very important. When you sin, you confess, and you yield your life back to Him. He doesn't leave. He gives you power. But there's another aspect that's often missed, and it's with regard to the Word of God. There's a passage in Scripture that talks about being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, which means to be under the Spirit's control. And then... In Colossians, which is right here, is the companion passage. It talks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So this this idea right here, how can you live by the Spirit if you don't know His word? It's a challenge. I mean, we're headed into this new year. And you go, I don't know if I have the Bible, uh, a paper. Well, there's you version. Put it on your phone. Make a goal to read the Gospels. Make it a goal to read a portion of Scripture every day, even if it's a small amount. And think about it and meditate on it and say, God, help me to live this in your power and your strength. So we need to reflect Christ's character, but you're not going to be able to do it if you don't know what he says about himself, and you can't do it in your own strength. You need the Spirit's help. Do good works. There's a lot of confusion in Christianity about good works. Jesus said this, you, referring to believers, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, some of you may have seen there was a a special, it was a reality show just recently. And it, it actually featured one of the houses in Brewerton. Okay? And... My wife and I watched that show. It was pretty cool. Anybody remember the name of the show? Great Christmas Light Fight. And so what did they do? Anybody know what the show was about? The Great Christmas Light Fight? Yes. Decorate the house. If you haven't seen the house in Brewerton, it might be too late. I don't know. It may still be there, but... They, whoever decorated their house the most with Christmas lights, I mean, these houses were amazing. I mean, you could light up Brewerton with that house that was there. It was so bright. And one of the things that we enjoyed doing as a family, we would even still would get in the car and ride through the neighborhoods and look at the lights. And if you think about what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. What is the light he's talking about? He's talking about our good works. But the challenge is that people think, oh, my good works, that's how I'm going to get into heaven. No. Right here, listen to this. In Titus, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's not only a man, but he's God, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In Ephesians chapters, chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10, he talks about saved and then serve. You come to faith in Christ, he redeems you, and then out of that flows good works. It can't be reversed. There's no way. That's not good news. That's man-made religion that's binding people and destroying. But Jesus said, it says right here, he redeemed us, he purchased us to purify for himself a people eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good, doing good works. And it helps us reflect the character of Christ. It actually tells us in Acts that Jesus went around doing good. Now here's a challenge for the kids, okay? Leading up to Christmas, I mean, that was awesome. You had a, it was really focused on you. But I want you to shock your parents. This is how you shock your parents. Clean your room without being told. They will drop over, need CPR or something. Or just say, I'm going to do the dishes tonight. I'll load the dishwasher, or I'm going to actually pick up my backpack and coat and blah, 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 and I'm going to do something that mom and dad keep, or mom and dad, or they keep bugging me about, or just do it. Try it. That's, that's a good thing. Love one another. This is how we reflect the character of Christ. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is that passage that's read in most weddings called, what? The love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13. I wanted to focus in on one aspect of this. Paul says, love does not insist on its own way. Some translations say love is not selfish. Love doesn't put itself ahead of others. In other words, it, it puts others ahead of themselves. When you think about biblical love, agape love, it's the idea that you see what that person needs and you're willing to minister to them in that way. That is so against our flesh. It's so against who we are. And yet that's what God desires for us to do. C.S. Lewis says this. I don't know who said it. Evan said it. He said, yes, we love to quote C.S. Lewis. I was thinking of this when I, when I put this on the slide here. To love it all. C.S. Lewis, great writer. He's been gone for a while, but his words still speak. If you get any of his books, if you're a seeker, get mere Christianity. I mean, any of his books will challenge you. This is what he says about love in, in the book, of course, The Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. I think of the father with the prodigal son. The picture of God the father. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. 
not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable to love is to be vulnerable. You know, I thought of this. In the, in the movie, there's two Christmas movies, The Christmas Carol, and of course, The Grinch, that, I mean, Scrooge, Scrooge was, his heart was just so closed. And then it changes. How about The Grinch, right? Gets right to that top of the hill and looks down at Whoville and realizes, oh man, his heart changes. But if you want the smallest package is a person all wrapped up in themselves. Put yourself, pour yourself into other people. Think of people within the church. You go, they have needs. I'm going to minister to them. People in your family, they have needs. I'm going to minister to them. Love, love one another. Reflects the character of Christ. Jesus, I, I still am amazed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is being betrayed by Judas, who was his friend, by the way, because Jesus says, friend, you don't betray an enemy because you're already enemies. Judas was his friend. And he says, come do what you have to do. And notice what he says after that. He doesn't say, take them, take the disciples, take those. You no, know, he says, let them go. That's love. Here I am, take me, let them go. That's courage. That's the love of God. Pray for one another. I, I love it that, that there, this church, people have prayer needs and people you know, send them through Tom or others. And that's important that people can pray for each other. In fact, it is a scriptural concept. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Read the context sometime in James chapter 5. One of the biggest needs in that chapter is spiritual healing. Those people need to come back to God. That's the context. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Then he uses the Old Testament illustration. Elijah, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed, in earnest, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produces fruit. Anybody know why there was no rain for three and a half years in Israel? Anybody know? What was going on? What was Israel's problem? What were they doing? Ahab was the, the king. They were worshiping idols. They had turned their back on God in a sense that was a dry land, metaphorically, spiritually dead. And so God sends a drought. That land was totally dependent upon rainfall, Israel was. Not like Egypt. They could live on irrigation. For three and a half years, nothing which is a way for God to say, okay, you turn your back on me, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And brought them to their knees, and Elijah prays. So think about what's going on in your life right now and other people around you who need your prayers. Who may feel like, man, I'm just not, I, I'm not sure there's a God, I'm not sure that God exists, or pray for them. Or they may be struggling spiritually, pray for them. That's what it tells us to do.
pray. Pray for one another. It really exhibits the life of Christ. Jesus was praying for us in, in John 17. He prays for, prays for the believer, the disciples then, and prays for us now, as, as it says in John 17. Work on keeping peace in the body. This is a challenge. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. So, you know, if you don't like something, it's okay. Tell us. Pastors, talk to us. We'll, we'll, if we can, we'll address it. We'll work on it. But don't disturb the peace. It says keep the spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Are you disturbing the peace in the body of Christ? Just think about this for a minute. I grew up, as many of you know, in Maddydale, and the lady who lived next door to us was the justice of the peace. And as a kid, she was justice of the peace for 22 years. And as a kid, we would be out playing in the front yard, and all of a sudden, a cop car would pull up. Two police officers would bring someone handcuffed to her front door into her living room and she would pronounce a sentence whether they had to do jail time or whatever or be given to another court. It was so interesting because I was scared to death like, man, don't get in trouble with Mrs. Burnham. You'll end up in jail. Jesus talks about how when you don't forgive somebody in Matthew 5, he says you could end up in, he uses the metaphor of court, and the judge could throw you in jail. He's talking about the Holy Spirit will convict you if you're a believer until you surrender and go, okay, God, because you're disturbing the peace. You're breaking the spirit peace within the body of Christ. Jesus said this, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which if you're a believer, that's us. Over 2,000 years ago, it's still being answered. It's amazing that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Think about this. When there's not unity within a church, the world goes, there's no such thing as God. <laughs> Our Christianity is a sham because they don't see the reality of who Jesus is. But when there's unity, when the church works together, when the church is united together to do what God wants, then people go, huh, there must be something here because Jesus is praying for this. So work at peace within the body of Christ. Now, not only do we need the life because if all you have, think about this, if all you have, you know what, I'm living for Jesus, I'm working to do what he wants, I'm surrendering to the Spirit of God, yes, we're going to sin from time to time, that's just the way life is, it is a battle, it's a challenge, but it's not just living the life, if that's all you are, people are going to look at you and go, they are such a nice person, and you get all the credit. And you get all the glory. And nobody knows who you really are. Nobody knows what you stand for. So we have a message too. We are sent ones with good news. He, Jesus said this in John 17. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He, in Romans, it says, he's quoting the Old Testament, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who, what? Bring good news. Bring good news. You know what it's like. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, guess what? And they've got good news, and you're so excited. You're like, really? When's the date? When are you getting married? Oh, my goodness, that's awesome. That's what God says for the believer, that we are to bring good news when the door is open, when we have the opportunity. It's not just about a different life. Yes, you have to live the life, but it's also about sharing the message. You will receive power, Jesus talking to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, he's speaking specifically to them, and they were witnesses of what? Anybody want to? What were they witnesses of? What? Resurrection? What else? His, his whole life? His miracles? And some of them got to write about it. Matthew, John. They were the direct disciples. Paul, later, is a witness to the resurrected Christ. They write about this. They were witnesses to the actual work that Jesus was doing on earth and his resurrection. And you're saying, well, how does this apply to me? If you've come to faith in Christ, guess what? He has transformed your life. Now you get to testify about what he has done. You get to tell somebody else that Jesus has changed your life. One of the reasons why we love baptism services, right? We hear about people's stories, or we hear the fact, wow, they came to Christ, that's awesome. We are to share his message, not our own. The, Galatian, the book of Galatians was a battleground. The churches in Asia Minor, there was all sorts of battle going over the gospel, and some were saying you had to follow elements of, the old, elements of the Old Testament law, such as keeping the Sabbath or getting circumcised or dietary laws. And Paul's like, no, that's not the gospel. I can't even imagine the transition that the early church went through. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I attended a church before I came to Christ for like four years. And in that church, I heard what I thought was good news, but it really wasn't. They kept saying to me, you got to work your way. You got to be good enough. You got to earn it. And there, is, there are people that actually say, no, you have to be good enough. Well, how good are you going to be? And it's, <clears throat> that's no longer grace. That's no longer good news. God says it is totally based on what Christ did. That's the good news. There are some that pervert the gospel by actually saying that Jesus was really not God. He was just a good man. And you're taking away from he, what he actually says about himself. Or that he didn't, he didn't really need to die on the cross. He was just a martyr. Or that people aren't sinners. They're, they're good and they just, you know, need a little help. That's taking away from the gospel. 
What is the gospel? What is the good news? Now, brothers and sisters, Paul says this, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And now he gives you the gospel. It's a very simple thing. He says it right here. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Just think about it. That's the gospel. That is the good news. Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And then they witnessed, they are witnesses of that. Ayrton and I like going through Bible stories. And right now, he says, we have, have it on my phone, you version, kids version, and also a paper storybook. And he goes, Pop up, my favorite story right now. He's got two of them. One, Adam and Eve in the garden. He calls it the first sin. And that, that serpent there tricked him. But he goes, you know what where my really favorite one is? It's finished. Jesus dies on the cross. And he keeps asking me, he goes, what is that? Why did he have to die? What, what did we do? And I try to explain it to him, try to explain sin. And talk about how we, re- we rebelled against God, you know, kind of like kids do sometimes. And we all do. But that's the good news, that Jesus died in our place. He gave his life for us. We need to accept it by faith. Good book, if you're looking for a theology that you can understand and don't want to get into the, the deep water there, Bruce Shelley, Christian Theology in Plain Language, he says this, with regard to the job of the church is not only to live the life, but also to share the message. He says this, the church is a spiritual organism, a living body in society, although it consists of men and women, it is impelled by the purpose of God, sustained by the presence of God. This relation to God determines the nature and mission of the church. It is the community that God gathers, the worship that he inspires, the mission that he sends, That mission is to enlist the people loyal to Jesus Christ, to empower them by the new life of the Spirit, send them back into the world to witness and to care in Jesus' name. Paul summarizes it in Colossians, one of my favorite verses on living the life but also sharing the message. He starts out by saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the secret of Christ, that work he wants to do in someone's heart, the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So without prayer, we're not going to be able to have an open door. Without prayer, people aren't going to really listen. If you have family or loved ones who say, eh, you know what, I'm not really interested, just pray for them. Bring it to God. Ask God. Open their hearts. Let them be interested. Instead of you trying to kick the door down, pray. And then he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. When God opens the door, make the most of it. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. 
I like, I really like buck seasoning. Anybody ever use buck seasoning? Okay. It's hard to find. It's really hard to find. But if you put too much on, it's usually for seasoning of meat. You put too much on, it's really, like yesterday we were working on some taco stuff and, and I kept putting it on. My daughter's like, uh, it's a little salty. I'm like, okay, put a little more on. I said, now I think it's ready because it's got a mixture of things in it. But you know what? You don't take the top off the salt shaker and dump it on. The person's like, oh, okay, that's too much. You answer their questions. If they're not interested, back away. It says right here, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see this in the life of Jesus. He went to Nazareth twice. After that, he doesn't go back. They rejected him two times. He's like, okay, fine. Not going back. Don't force it on people. So here, how can you faithfully partner with Jesus to do this work, this secret work, that he is at work in people's hearts, he's at work in your heart, he's at work in my heart. How can you partner with him? How can you work with him and say, God, I want to I line up with what you're doing. Think of the things that this, this coming year, you can say, you know what, I think I'm going to spend more time reading the Gospels because I really don't know what Jesus is like. I'm going to read the Gospels. Or I'm going, to, I'm going to commit more time to praying. Instead of not praying at all, I'm going to try praying maybe at my break at, at work, maybe a couple minutes, just talking to God. He wants to hear from you. Or I am going to work at allowing the Spirit to control my life instead of being controlled by the flesh. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that this good news, this gospel is totally dependent on you. You did the work. You said it was finished. And we simply believe what you did. We believe by faith, totally trust in you. So if you don't know Christ and you feel him tugging at your heart, don't put it off. You feel it. Don't put it off. Don't, don't resist. Just give in and surrender and say, Jesus, I want you. I don't understand it all. Who does? But I want you to save me. I want you to be my Savior. And I want to give in to and thank you for the gift of eternal life because you purchased it. You provided that, that gift. If you do know Christ, and maybe you've been drifting, and maybe it's been a desert, maybe your life hasn't been what you know it should be, ask God to, to restore, restore to you the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's something in your life that you're going, I know that shouldn't be there. Give it over to God. Ask Him to help you. Lord, help us to be the kind of church that reflects your character, but also is ready to share in a loving way your word, the gospel, the good news. I thank you, God, for, for our church, that you have brought us together and that you have given us opportunities to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Help us to be faithful to that. We pray it in your name. Amen.